0: Chapter twenty three of With the Judeans in the Palestine Campaign. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jonathan Story. With the Judeans in the Palestine Campaign by John Henry Patterson. Chapter twenty three. Return of the Anzacs. About this time, the battalion was inspected by the GOC lines of communication and the following is what he wrote of the impression we made on him. Headquarters, Palestine Lines of Communication, 8th January 1919. I was very glad to inspect your battalion, and I was much struck with the soldierly appearance presented by the men. Signed, E. W. Broadbent, General Officer Commanding, P. L. of C. Isolated as we were on the edge of the desert, we found life at Rafa somewhat dull and dreary. Sandstorms were the bane of one's life there, a camseen or hot wind would blow for days at a time enveloping the place in a cloud of fine sand and making life one long misery while it lasted one's eyes nose and throat got choked up while every morsel of food was full of grit Camseen is arabic for fifty the hot wind is supposed to blow for that number of days but thank heaven it rarely lasted more than a week on end at Rafa. there were no other troops in the place to vary the deadly monotony True, there were some engineers of the railway operating division, but we found them somewhat selfish, for although they had an excellent concert hall, they refused our concert party permission to use it. Even at Raffa the few underlings on the staff took their cue from above and did what they could to make our life as uncomfortable as possible, until they came to know us better. It can be imagined, therefore, with what joyful feeling we saw our old friends of the Anzac division march into Raffa and make it their headquarters. Since we had parted from the Anzacs in Gilead, we had seen nothing of them, but we knew that they had been camped in the green fields and pleasant pastures surrounding the Jewish colony of rishon lezion The slings and arrows of misfortune removed them from these sylvan surroundings, but whatever ill wind blew them to Rafa, it was a godsend for us. In these piping days of peace, now that we were among our old friends once more, there was horse-racing hunting tournaments and boxing galore while an enterprising kinema man came and photographed camp scenes and groups of officers and men in the sand dunes around Rafa, many ancient coins were to be found and general chater himself could always be relied on to head a hunt for these and other relics of antiquity we never failed to find some objects of interest bits of glazed pottery glass beads pins bangles rings etc every time there was a storm the top sand would get blown away, and we could always go and make fresh finds in the ground we had already explored. And great was the competition as to who should discover the best specimens. The general had the eye of a lynx for such things, and it was rarely indeed that anyone else had a look in while he was to the fore. He discovered some very beautiful old mosaics buried at Chalal and— these he had carefully sketched and artistically colored, exactly as they were in the original. I was very pleased when he kindly presented me with a copy. The rolling downs round about us were dotted here and there with the graves of fallen Australian and New Zealand soldiers, and, riding as I often did with General Chater, he would explain the operations which took place when the British first entered Palestine at this point. He gave me many vivid descriptions of the part which his brigade had taken in the overthrow of the Turks at the Battle of Rafa. The general had a very narrow escape on that occasion. In the middle of the battle, when he was galloping from one position to another, attended only by his orderly, he came suddenly upon a concealed trench full of Turks. Fortunately, they thought he was at the head of a squadron, so threw up their hands and surrendered. The general left his orderly to march off the prisoners and galloped on to conduct the fight elsewhere. We motored over to Gaza once and spent a most interesting day there. From Ali Muntar, a hill to the east of the town, which had been the general's headquarters in the first battle of Gaza, he described the whole situation. From this point almost every bit of Gaza and surrounding country could easily be seen. It will be remembered that at the first battle we claimed a victory, which history has not since been able to verify, for we retired in hot haste on Rafa. But it is said that if there had only been a little more push-and-go in the High Command that day, Gaza would have been ours. As a matter of fact, it was ours at one time, for part of General Chater's brigade was right in the town, where they captured some hundreds of prisoners and a couple of guns, which they turned on the Turks in Gaza with considerable effect, sighting their strange new pieces at point-blank range by peeping through the bore of the guns. The Turks were everywhere beginning to throw up the sponge, when, alas, the British force was suddenly ordered to retire, because a Turkish relieving column was seen approaching in the distance. But if only the British division, which all this time had been held in reserve, had been thrust forth to intercept this column, tired, thirsty, and done up as it was, we could no doubt have shattered it and won a complete victory. General Chater was ordered to retire somewhat early in the afternoon. But as he had a squadron right in the town, and many wounded men in advanced positions, he waited until nightfall before withdrawing, taking with him all his wounded and also the Turkish prisoners and captured guns. No matter who had the wind up that day, it certainly was not General Chater or his brigade. The second battle of Gaza was, of course, a terrible fiasco in which we were repulsed and lost thousands of men to no purpose. On another occasion I motored with General Kroll, R.A.M.C., of the Anzacs, to Beersheba. It was at this point that General Allenby made a successful thrust when he first took command in Palestine, and from that day to this he has never looked back. The Anzacs and the Australian Mounted Division in this attack made a wide turning movement, outflanked Beersheba, burst suddenly in upon Tel-es-Sabah, some three miles to the east of it, galloped the Turkish trenches and poured into Beersheba at one point in a whirlwind of dust and storm, while the Turks skedaddled out of it as fast as ever they could run from the other end, and made for the shelter of the foothills towards Hebron. The New Zealanders say that they were responsible for the capture of Tel Es Sabah, for it was they who outflanked it, while the Australians assured me that it was they who had stormed it at a mad gallop. At all events it was a decisive victory for the Australians and New Zealanders, for both took part in it, and as fine a piece of mounted work as had been done so far during the war, dash, energy, and initiative were shown in a very high degree by all ranks engaged. In the little cemetery at Beersheba I visited the grave of Major Markwell, one of the bravest officers who fell that day. We also paid a visit to the site of old Beersheba, and were greatly interested in peering down into the well dug at this celebrated place by the patriarch Abraham. From Beersheba we motored to Gaza along the former Turkish front. Every inch of the way had been fortified and turned into a maze of trenches, with formidable redoubts here and there throughout the line. Once Beersheba was captured, the heart was taken out of the Turkish resistance, though they put up some good stiff fighting before they were dislodged especially at Hatawana, a strong redoubt near the center of the position. After the capture of Beersheba, Lieutenant Colonel S. F. Newcomb, D. S. O. R. E., dashed northwards with part of the camel corps to cut off the Turks retreating on the Beersheba-Hebron road. He reached a point within a few miles of the latter place, but was surrounded by six battalions of the enemy. He held out gallantly for three days, but at last, when he had exhausted all his ammunition and suffered heavy casualties, he was obliged to surrender fate holds in its lap many surprises if colonel newcombe had not been captured that day he would undoubtedly with ordinary luck have won distinction and rank but there was another and better prize awaiting him at constantinople for while he was a prisoner and convalescing in that city he met a charming young lady who at great personal risk helped him to escape from the clutches of the turk and afterwards became his wife End of chapter 23 Recording by Jonathan Storey